0: So, welcome to Good Friday here at the Granary. And uh, tonight, what we're doing is um, we're going to have four smaller talks tonight, and each one is about this theme of "It is finished," and "It is finished" to the words that Jesus cried on the cross just before he died it is finished. And it's good to know what is finished. Because if you don't know what is finished, then you won't be able to live in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And so many people can know he cried out, it is finished. But if you don't understand what it is, and tonight we want to have a look at what it is and I really believe that as we look at it for each one of us here God is going to speak something to us we're looking at four aspects of what is finished and the first one we're looking at tonight is this that their condemnation has finished and there's this beautiful verse powerful verse Romans 8 verses 1 and 2 and it says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Let me read that once more. There is ne- therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And what you're seeing in that passage in those two little verses is the law is mentioned. There's two types of law. And those two types of law actually represent two different types of kingdoms, And you and I can choose which kingdom that we live in. There is the the kingdom of, I call them, the kingdom of grace and the kingdom of fear. In the kingdom of fear, everyone gets what they deserve, and in the kingdom of grace, everyone gets what they don't deserve. And you get to choose which one you want. In the kingdom of fear, the kingdom of fear is um, the one that is the kingdom of this world. And if you um when you read in the scriptures, Jesus says, for instance, in this world you would have trouble, and that world, that word world, comes from the Greek word cosmos, which is spelt with a K and we translate it to with a C, which basically means an order, a way things are put. together so basically in this world order that we live in under the prince of darkness there is trouble And in this world, it's fair. You get what's fair. That's why there's accusations and condemnations in this world order. And you only have to turn on the television to discover that's true. The world is full of accusations and condemnations. And no matter what we do, we stay in this world of trouble. Or you can live in God's kingdom, which is the kingdom of grace. And it is marked by grace and forgiveness and love and joy and peace and the fruit of God's presence being there with you. And you get to choose which one you live in. God does not force us into one. But when Jesus says it is finished, he opened the doors wide for those who would want to enter into that kingdom of grace to be able to enter into it and walk out of the the world of condemnation. One of the mistakes that we make, and particularly as Christians we can make, is dividing the world into good and bad people. And sometimes you do think that. You can think that because you've found Jesus and he's changed you, that you've become a good person and other people are bad people. Or you may not be a Christian, but you still divide the world into good and bad people. But there are no good and bad people. There's actually no good people. I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but if you're sitting here today and you think, no, I am a good person, it's not the case. It's not the case. There are no good and bad people. They're all people. There are people who try to prove that they're good. They try to prove that they're good by their intentions and there are people who recognise that they're not good and they humble themselves before God and we're all the same. None of us are good. Sometimes we think we're good because we meant to do good. So if you're driving along and you've got your music up and you're not watching the Speedo and then you get pulled over because you're going 10 k's over and you say, I never meant to do that. The policeman doesn't say, that's okay then see you later because um you still did the wrong thing and all of us know that we are not good people we just don't like there's a shame in understanding in believing that we we are not good people and so because of this we don't understand what this um his forgiveness really is and i'd like to suggest is go back to this um, romans 8 1 and 2 that it's actually a legal situation we're talking about it's a legal forgiveness Mm -hmm. Let's consider that given God's status as judge and ruler, we think of him as our father and he is our father, but he is also judge and ruler of the world. It's more accurate to think of his forgiveness as a legal pardon by a ruler rather than on the analogy of the forgiveness extended by a private person. Because what we get wrong in understanding his forgiveness is this. We think that he changed his attitude towards us. So if you and I have an issue with each other and we're angry with each other but then we sit down and um, we choose to forgive each other, we soften our hearts towards one another and we choose to um, say, that's okay, I forgive you and you say, that's okay, I forgive you and um, well, let's forget it and we'll move on our way. That's not the sort of forgiveness we're talking about here because that's a change of heart towards you but God's heart has never changed towards you. And this is the key thing. We bring God down to our standard and think of he forgives us because he is offended. But he's not offended. When you see Jesus hanging on the cross, it shows his, outp- his outpouring of love. It says in John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. So what it's saying is that God loves you when you were opposed to him. He loves you. He didn't need a heart change towards you. His heart was always for you. It was always reaching out to you. His heart was always towards you. And because we don't understand that, we can't understand that perfect love. We can't understand his forgiveness. So his forgiveness is actually something different. It's actually more like a legal pardon. It's not more than a change of attitude. It's not a change of attitude. It's a pardoning. So consider it like this. In this world, there's sin in this world, but there's the law in this world, and we understand what happens when someone breaks the law. So Nicky Gumbel, um, he's the uh, the vicar of Holy Trinity in Brompton in England, and he tells this story of um, two men who grew up together, grew up as boys, and... um, parted their ways just sort of life went in different ways when they got older and one became a judge and one had a bit of a, a rough life and one day the judge is doing his work and the his old friend comes in and he's got himself into trouble and so the judge looks at his case and he is guilty And the judge has to declare him guilty because he's a judge and the law says he's guilty and he has to do his his job properly. And there's an extreme fine that this man has to pay and the fine is more than he can afford to pay. And so because he is a righteous judge, he says, you are guilty and this is the sentence and he gives him the fine. But then the judge gets down from his chair and he walks around and he sits next to his friend and he writes out a cheque for the amount of the fine and he pays the fine for him. And he set him free from the legal debt that he had. And this is key to understanding forgiveness. You, you, if, if this man had said, um, I'm not guilty, he couldn't have been pardoned. And when we come before God, often we don't like to say, I'm guilty. We don't want to admit that we're guilty. And you, in, in our hearts we know we're guilty. God knows we're guilty. It's like I've seen in the classroom where you have a child sitting there saying, you say, you were talking You've got to do this. That. I wasn't talking. I saw you talking. And they don't want to admit that they were talking. And so, very far, you can't pardon them because they won't admit that they're guilty. And then their mother comes and says, They weren't talking. I know they were talking. I saw them talking. And it's even difficult when they're your relatives to prove it because you know that they were talking. And so, it's like this when we come to God. He knows the truth, and you know the truth. But we can't have him come round and pay the price for us until we say humbly before him, I'm guilty. We need to be able to say that. There's a book that I I love to read every few years um, by Mill and Carruthers. It's called... It's called The Prison to Praise. And every five years or so, I love to get it out and read it again. And I love to remind myself of the simplicity and the power of this faith that we have. And in this story, Merlin Carruthers talks about before he was a follower of Jesus, he lived a pretty wild and messed up life. And he joined the army and somehow, before he was in the army and in the army, he stole a car, had illegal firearms, held up a shop. Gambled when he was in the army, did money laundering, got himself into a whole lot of trouble, ended up in prison in the army. But then he was sent overseas uh, for, for the war. And when he was in the prison, sorry, when he was in the prison, he found Jesus, and his life turned around. And he changed as a he changed totally as a person. So that when he came back, he wanted to. He's a totally new person. He wants to start a whole new life. He wants to become a lawyer, but he can't become a lawyer because he's got this criminal record. But then news comes to him that he is being offered a presidential pardon. And he gets to go to the White House and he's offered a presidential pardon. And what this presidential pardon gives him is a total eradication of all the crimes he's ever committed. And it's like it's a fresh start. He can become a lawyer. He can do all the things that he wanted to do because the record of his crimes has been deleted. It's as if it doesn't exist. And it says in Colossians 2.14, Jesus cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross he cancelled the record of the charges against you. There's no good and bad people. There's just people who allow him to cancel the record of the charges against them. In fact, you can't be a good person to have that. You have to admit that you're not. And then Jesus will cancel the record of the charges against you. And then it goes on to say this, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And they are the spiritual rulers and authorities of the kingdom of fear or the kingdom of darkness, as the Bible calls it. The kingdom of darkness, he shamed those spiritual rulers and authorities and you have been set free. And it says in, um, in Revelation, when it talks about this, what is finished? It says, then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Salvation and power in the kingdom of our God. This new kingdom has come. And the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Accusation. Has gone, and what God is doing for you is this: You know how you hear of a building um, that's being returned to its former glory. It says in the scriptures that all of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not good and bad people. There's just all people who aren't what we could be, aren't what we were designed to be. But as we come to Jesus, He renews us and He's restoring us, if you like, to our former glory. He's restoring us to what we're meant to be. So, how do you know? How do you know if you've actually embraced this, if you've come before God humbly and acknowledged your, your sins, if you've acknowledged your weakness, your failures? How do you know? It will be the humility with which you come to God. Firstly, you can look at um, what comes out of your mouth about other people. If there is accusation, if there is condemnation coming out of your mouth, then you are not living fully in the kingdom of God's grace. But when you accept who you really are and you accept his grace, you start to see people through different eyes. You start to see them with the eyes of love. You start to accept all people and love all people with the same way that Jesus loves us. And if you think you're superior to anyone, you're not. We're all the same in God's family and he embraces us all. And so therefore, it is finished. Condemnation is finished. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And all it takes is us humbly coming before him and saying, here I am, every aspect of me, I bring it to you and he breathes life into you. Condemnation has finished. take a moment to meditate on this song and allow god to speak to you in these next few minutes
1: moment we're going to take communion um, but I just wanted to speak quickly about how um, the cross brings a finish to isolation. Anyone who's uh, had COVID will know that isolation is the worst part of it and so for that reason I just don't test anymore. Uh, no, I'm, ki- I'm kidding. But, uh, but isolation is really terrible and it's because it's not what we were designed for. And uh, we are actually designed to be in community and communion is meant to be a communal experience and not just being in the same room together. Because, you know, you can be in a room with a lot of people and you can still feel incredibly isolated. And that's because there's this breakdown in, in who we are at, as, as people. And Good Friday is a story of love, but it's also a story about hatred as well. And right through the Bible, we see this story about the hatred which exists in human hearts from, from one human to another human. And it begins right back in the book of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible. And we see um, Cain and Abel, who are the, the sons of Adam and Eve. And there's a story uh, right in um, Genesis chapter four, where Abel brings forward an offering and Cain brings forward an offering to God. And Abel's offering is accepted and Cain's is rejected. And and what begins to grow in Cain's heart towards his brother is hatred. And it comes like this sort of force, which God says is like an an animal crouching at the door, ready to pounce. And sure enough, Cain, when he gets a moment, goes out and murders his brother. And this is the first act of hatred that we see in the Bible, but it, it continues right through the biblical narrative. And of course, we still see this sort of thing going on today. All over the world, we look to Europe and we can see these horrible acts where innocent people are being gunned down and, and brutally murdered. It's this, this horrible thing that we try so many different ideologies to, to kind of move beyond it and to advance beyond hatred of one to another, but we, we don't seem to be able to escape it. And yet in the middle of that, there's the story of people, of Christian people who in cultures of hatred, find Jesus and, and choose love. I want to um, tell just briefly about the story of um, Basilea Schlink, who is a, a nun who formed the Evangelical Sisterhood of Mary, which is a, um, a Protestant uh, sisterhood that our church is, has a, um, an affiliation with in Germany. And, uh, and they, they began during the Nazi regime as a, as a group of women who began a, a sort of semi-illegal um, Bible study that, would, that, that began sort of in the face of, uh, of, of laws in Nazi Germany at the time. And, and after the, the war this group of women began to read the transcripts from the Nuremberg trials and began to look full in the face of, of the atrocities that had been committed by their fellow countrymen, and they became grieved about what they, they read. And so what actually broke out in this group of young women was a spirit of repentance, even though they had only been sort of young girls really during the, the time of the war. Afterwards, they began to see, we need to take responsibility for what's going on in our country. We need to be repentant. And there's a quote here from Basilee and she said, beside every German stands invisibly a Jewish brother, one who has already passed into the realm of the dead or one of the survivors, but each marked with terror and death. And each of them accuses us. Where is your brother Abel? That's the question that God asked to Cain. Where is your brother Abel? Where is your brother Israel? Where is he? And then God would point to Auschwitz or Treblinka or Bendenka or Bol- Belzec or Gross Rosen or Soberbor, These are the, um, the prison camps where the Jews were taken and, and other prisoners where the smoking chimneys stood. And they realized that this... Hatred, which they read about in the Bible, was something which is alive and active in their own community. And so these women began to, German women began to volunteer in Israeli hospitals and they began to give respite to Holocaust survivors and spread this message of repentance around Germany. And it can be easy for us to, to when we think about hatred, to look at regimes like the Nazi regime or look at, you know, atrocities which are happening around the world today and, and think of it as, as a group of people over there. I was um taken by a, a writer who many of you all have heard of called Alexander, Alexander Solzhenitsyn who was a a, a Russian um, during the time of uh, of the Soviet reign and he was um, taken into prison camps in the in the um, the gulags over there and he converted to Christianity whilst he was in prison and instead of having this this moment of 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 realizing that sin was, was, you know, was present in the people who were keeping him captive. He says this, If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Solzhenitsyn recognized what Basilea Schlink recognized, which is that hatred is not something which is just peculiar to a certain kind of person. It's something which is true of all of us if we will be willing to look truthfully into our own hearts. What Basilea recognized is that hatred of the Jews in that situation and hatred of God were actually synonymous. Because when we have hatred for our fellow brother or sister. We actually have hatred in our hearts for God. The Bible tells us that. But the story of hatred, of, of Cain killing his brother, is actually not the end of the story. There's a, an answer to that story which comes on Good Friday. And it's put like this in the book of Hebrews. It says that we have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So as we come forward for communion now, I want us to recognize the hatred which exists in our own hearts. Because you know, the Bible says that when we come forward for communion, we actually need to not come forward if we've got hatred for our fellow brother or sister. So before you come forward and take the elements, I want you to take a moment to think about your own heart and ask yourself today, is there any hatred in my heart towards anybody? And I want to encourage you to lay that down before you come forward and take the, the bread and the wine. Because the bread, which signifies the broken body of Jesus on the cross and, and the wine, which, sell, which signifies his blood, not only deals with the sin of, of our brother or sister that we uh, you know, want to take a sense of justice against, but it deals with our own sin as well. The own, our own hatred that we feel in our own hearts. It's finished in that moment. The isolation that we have from one another because of these barriers that we make is finished because it's all dealt with in that moment. So in your own time, I want you to um, come forward and take the bread and the wine and there's stations around and the station over here is the gluten-free one. And, uh, but come and just take one and let's sit down and let's take it together as one group of people. So come forward, take the elements and then in a moment, we'll, we'll take it all together.
2: morning everyone you know you look around this room and maybe you know the people next to you Maybe you've got no idea who they are, but there's so many different stories in here and some of them I know, some of them I don't. And everyone possesses a, a, like a different story in here and everyone's, there's many, many different backgrounds and cultures and environments and we've all had different upbringings and possessed different values. We've experienced the ups and downs of life in different ways. But everyone in here is incredibly unique and you look around and it's just beautiful to me to, to see that and there's so many different stories in here. It's just indescribable. For me, I've come from a happy and loving and normal family, one that doesn't yet love Jesus and a passion for God hasn't been at the forefront of my life, but that's okay. I became a follower of Jesus primarily through my school, which is St. Philip's, and if you don't know, St. Philip's is a place that is filled with God. It's a place where our teachers love our students radically and unconditionally, and God is at the centre of every decision that's made, and when you put someone in that school in a place like that, people get moved. Eventually in 2016, I was in year six, I was 11 years old, I came to Granary here, Granary Youth, Um, the first person I met was Jerry. Yeah, I don't know, I I just remember, he was school captain at the time, Um, and he was the only face I knew, and my mates, I got stitched up, no one was there yet, I don't know where you guys were but no one was there and I was like who am I going to talk to so I talked to Jerry because I knew his face he was school captain and he just showed me kindness and loved me and talked to me and I felt very warm and very welcome and at home and then eventually I went to youth camp that year and I became a Christian there and we had youth camp this week and it's all geez it's every year the same thing happens the Lord just moves so powerfully he rocks the young people in this church and it just every year it happens every time so yeah from my perspective it's just been like an unfathomable series of events in my life that i'm that i'm here and i'm incredibly grateful for it. and it's a story only god could write and all of us are in the same boat we've come from different places and stuff but we all possess this this you know we're all here and it's an incredible journey that we're here it's unique that's the one thing we have in common and today we celebrate good friday and jesus dying on the cross for us and him dying on the cross was the ultimate sacrifice. It was, it atoned the relationship between us and God. Um, he, he forgives us in his grace and we, through that we, have, we can have the opportunity to have an intimate relationship with him. There's no more goats, there's no more bulls, whatever that used to be. I've never done it personally. There's none of that. It's just you and God. And so should we put our trust in Jesus, we're changed dramatically. And that's what's called the new creation. When we ask Jesus to enter in our lives, we become filled with the Spirit, we're transformed, and we experience the presence of God. And it's indescribable, and I'm not going to try and give you words for what that feels like. You need to experience it yourself. It's the only way you'll be moved, and you just can't get enough of it. I had a friend who took me to Goldberg's once. Everyone know Goldberg's on Derby Street? So they got the, um, the chicken and bacon and walnut pasta. Okay, I'm glad someone knows what I'm saying. And anyway, so my friend takes me there, and I admire thing. And cause I, it's pricey, so I got something small. And he, he's trying to one up me, and he got me the, the pastor And he was like, "You got to have some of this," cause he was like, "Oh, like I'm full, like have some." I was like, "Okay." So I had some, and I was like, "Whoa!" I was like, you know, I was in awe of it. It was just great. I got transformed that day. <laughs> it just tasted so good. And life with Jesus is the same. Like it's the same. You've got to taste Him first. And when you taste him, you'll be transformed because he tastes so phenomenal, just like that pastor. You won't be able to get enough. And it doesn't matter how much the cost. These pastors, they're 25 bucks. I'm on a strict income. I'm a teenager. I earn 15 an hour. And it doesn't matter what it costs. And it's good with Jesus because the fact is it doesn't cost anything. You know, He loves you so much and he just wants to be in relationship with you. But even if it did cost 25 bucks, you do it anyway after you experience how good he is. <laughs> So this is our transformation, this is what it is, this is what the new creation is. It's the renewing of our mind. And Paul writes in in 2 Corinthians, he writes, From now on, we regard no one from a worldly perspective. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone and the new is here. You see, when we believe in Jesus and that he died for us and our sins, we experience his love for us. And after that you'll never be the same. I've never been the same. I've never gone back. It changes you. You begin to view life in this new way through the perspective of love, the lens of love. Worldly advantages mean nothing to you. You know, money doesn't mean anything anymore. All you care about is Jesus and loving others and devoting your life to him. And it's something you have to experience. I can't describe it. This is the new creation. The Bible says it's like you were once dead and now you are alive. And it's just so true. You were just so incredibly revamped and revitalized. And today's the day you can experience that. The old version of us is finished. We're talking about it is finished. The old year is finished because once you experience Jesus in your life, it's going to be done. You're living a new life. You'll see life in a new way and we live for him. So today is the day to experience that. And I'm just going to pray now. Um, we'll go on to another song. So Lord, thank you that you died on the cross for us. Thank you that you love us so much that you died on the cross for us. And because of that, we can be in an intimate relationship with you, Lord. We can be in eternal closeness with you. Thank you that because of this, we can believe in you. And when we do, we are so transformed by that. We live a new life, a life of love and a life of devotion to you. Amen.
3: Be seated. Eternal damnation. It is finished. Soft sand slid under his feet. The air was pure and fragrant, redolent with the life it carried as he breathed it deep into his lungs, his body regaining its strength as he felt the lifeblood coursing again through his veins. Three days he had spent in the grave. Bound and lifeless, as his spirit travelled far, descending into the darkest reaches of Sheol on its vital journey. His mission? To reclaim the keys of death and hell, those vital keys upon whose ownership the whole of creation depended. In a contest that cost his life, he was winning them back, and in doing so, releasing mankind. From the chains of their certain damnation. Thereafter, should they choose, they would walk in the victory of the new life that he had won for them through the act of his death and the miracle of his resurrection. As he strode through the blackness, he remembered his own words, desperate pleas as he faced the horror ahead. If it be possible. But it was not possible. He'd always known that. He'd chosen before the beginning of time to walk this route. Resident within him was mankind's destiny. As he moved soundlessly through the long night of the underworld, the exhilaration, the glory of doing his father's will sustained him. He knew this was a walk of triumph, of ultimate victory already won through the laying down of his own life. His thoughts dwelled on the love and grace of his father's heart toward those he came to save, the imago day, humankind, God's very image. His deep anguish and heart wrenching desolation, surrendered in obedience through the pouring out of blood and sweat and tears, had become father's mightiest triumph and humanity's perfect salvation. And there, ahead gleaming softly in the gloom lay the keys lost eons ago no not lost blindly surrendered to the thief whose tailored lies had deceived and defrauded the imago day of eternal life bringing eternal damnation to the race of man and incredibly there was no guard the captor of the keys and human life, in his arrogance and vanity, now so sure of his victory, no longer felt any need to post a sentinel. He had destroyed the Lord of Glory. The father's final trump card was dead and in the grave. The adversary, so certain his rights to the keys, would never, could never again be challenged. Silently, The scarred hands of the carpenter reached through the shadows and his fingers closed around the keys. Laser light blazed through the night Blinding the accuser, destroying the darkness, brilliance obliterating doom and damnation forever, and the screams of horror as realization dawns on the father of lies howl down through the centuries. Their savior is alive, it is finished. Christ radiating fire from His eyes and face shining like the sun in all its brilliance, strides out of death and into life everlasting. And with Him, falling into line behind, a mighty army of believers follow in His steps as generation after generation rises to take their place as the saints of Jesus Christ, whose lives He bought with His own life. It is finished. The ancient enemy is defeated once and for all, and Jesus is crowned Lord of all. And because his love has infused everything that he did within his sacrifice with the love of all mankind, with no differentiation, with no differentiation, it is finished for all who believe. All those things that bind and discourage us, the things that damn us, are robbed of their power because that fight to the finish finished off our enemy. When Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it for us. Do you know on your chairs there's a piece of paper and there's some pens? And um, it's amazing paper actually. Because when it goes into water, it disappears. And so the idea is for you to take that piece of paper and write on it something that you are believing is finally finished because of the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection life. Write it on there. Fold it in two. If, you know, If you're unsure of what to write, maybe fear is plaguing you. Maybe rejection or bitterness. Maybe it's just really hard for you to get over those things that happened to you and that were done to you or by you. Write on that paper what you believe and can see and desire to understand that God has finished for you. And then fold it in two and go down the back. There's two beautiful bowls of water there and just put your piece of paper in there, and see it disappear because it is truly finished. What Jesus did on the cross for us, finished off our enemy. Somebody's going to give you also a little, um, a little tract from Basilea Schlink as well and something maybe that you can just take home and hold in your heart. So please go ahead and do that. If you've written that down already, go ahead and just put it in the water and watch it become null and void